welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. Have you ever wondered what a warrant officer is or how you become one? What's expected of you after you decide to become a warrant officer? Well, in this episode, we're going to talk to Chief Warrant Officer 5, Timothy Gordon, and Chief Warrant Officer 2, Bridget Crosby, on their career paths and how they both ended up becoming chiefs in the Washington National Guard, and how you can become one too if you meet the criteria. As I will mention towards the end of the episode, there's some information on how to become warrant officers and how to reach the warrant officer recruiter in the show notes, along with some general information on the um, most asked for types of warrant officers and skill sets. Uh, such as military intelligence, field artillery, special forces, information technology, and others. So check the show notes if you are interested in becoming a warrant officer. Enjoy! Bigfoot country is earthquake country. If an earthquake were to happen right now, what would you do? When you feel the ground shaking, drop, cover, and hold on. Do not run or you may be injured by things falling. Remember, if you are near the ocean, the ground shaking is your warning that a tsunami may be coming. After the shaking stops, move to high ground and stay there. Make sure to listen to local emergency officials. Have enough supplies to be self-sufficient for two weeks after a disaster. For more information about earthquakes in Washington, visit mill.wa.gov preparedness. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's W-A National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. Okay, so uh, today we're going to do a podcast uh, about how to be a warrant officer. Uh, with us, we have the, is it Command Chief Warrant Officer? It is. Uh, CW5. Miracle. Timothy Gordon. And then what is your actual job title? Warrant Officer Candidate School Course Manager. Warrant Officer Candidate School Course Manager, CW2, Bridget Crosby. Yes, hi. Uh, and everybody here besides me referred to as just chief, so it should be really confusing. Yeah, chiefs. <laughs> Chiefesses. Chief, chiefs. Chief I. Yep. All right. Um, so, Chief Gordon, why don't you start with, like, your background in the Washington National Guard? Okay. I came off five years active duty at Fort Lewis as a commissioned officer, joined the Guard, did another... Six years as commissioned officer, then reverted to enlisted NCO and did, I think, eight years as an NCO. And then uh, as the 81st Brigade deployed the first time, I um, got appointed as a warrant officer, a targeting warrant officer, field artillery type. And then I've uh, been here ever since. Last nine years I've done as AGR. You are the second person I've ever met that has done enlisted officer and warrant officer. All three sides career. of the fence, right? 
Are they I, have, I have met one other person that did it, though. Really? They're very rare. Uh, I know one, yeah. He was an aviator battalion commander when I was a lieutenant. Gotcha. Yeah. Not many. Not many. Not many survived that move. <laughs> no, and then how about your your experience in the Washington National Guard? Well, most importantly, I'm from Alabama, and I got here by way of active duty after three years. After I got off active duty, I joined the Guard as a regular traditional soldier and thinking I was going to do one weekend a month, ended up deploying with the 541st PSD, learned a little bit more about what the Guard here had to offer. After I came back from the deployment, was hired AGR, spent four years enlisted before I submitted my warrant officer packet and then got hired as a warrant officer into the 96th Troop Command. Okay. Spent a couple of years there before I transferred to the 2nd Battalion 205th as the warrant officer candidate school course manager. And I've been there now for three years. Awesome. So two very different but kind of similar experiences as far as active duty to Washington National Guard, right? Yeah. I think that's, that's not an unfrequent circumstance either. There's a lot of... I thought at one yeah, I thought at one point we had sixty percent of our force had been active duty and that's not just in the guard going to schools, but come from an active duty assignment. Right. It might be a little high, but I thought I think it was sixty. My experience in the reserve has been similar. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who got off active duty and gotta do their rest of their contract in a reserve component. Awesome. So what made you decide to be a warrant officer? What was what was the trigger? Um, it was either that or go to prison. So <laughs> not so a lot of choice. I, <laughs> I'd run. I, well, I wasn't good as an officer. You, well, I wasn't just, good as an NCO. You had to try one more so thing. Like, exactly. That's, that's <laughs> three the last strikes. thing. I, yeah. Exactly. That's three strikes. I'm out. Right. Mm-hmm. This is it. Um, it was just circumstance. Right. Um, you know, timing. Uh, the reversion to en- to enlisted was probably not the greatest of tactical choices I've ever made, but it uh, panned out wonderfully. Right. Because I've spent almost my entire career at troop level. Yeah. Which is really where I had the most enjoyment and uh, at least I learned the most at that level. So turning into a targeting officer was we, we simply had vacancies. I was qualified and uh, had a medical um, issue that finally got wavered okay. in order for me to become a warrant officer. So. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And now you're not at troop level, and now you're at the top, living the life. You think it's the top. Living the dream. <laughs> I don't know about that. And then how about you? What made you decide to be a warrant officer? For me, it was a little bit more of a process over about 10 years. Okay. I first met a warrant officer when I was active duty. He was old, crusty. Parked on the doorstep, smoked a cigarette right in the door, had his coffee cup in his hand, doing exactly what everybody assumed a warrant officer was supposed to do, <laughs> and he didn't wear a uniform, and I just wanted to know who he was and how do I get to have that kind of freedom right. in the Army, because I was a private and I was 19 years old and <laughs> didn't like where I was, so that was the, the first time that I became interested. Okay. The second time was when I deployed with 541st. We had a warrant officer from Puerto Rico attached to our unit, and I got to work closely with her and learn really what it was about for her and what she did, where she was working out of Puerto Rico, and it just 
made me decide at that point, this is really what I want to do. And then after that, I realized that I was the person standing in the back of the formation complaining all the time about what was happening and wanted to know how I could make a change. Right. I felt like warrant officer was the way to go to be able to impact that. Awesome. And it happened. And it happened. And it's happening. It's happening every day. It is. Those are pretty good stories. Yeah. My experience with the my first experience with a warrant officer is similar to yours was when I was a cadet and I was doing the simultaneous membership program and I was with an aviation uh, maintenance company and one of these like CW3s would l- smoke a cigarette before the run and then like almost as soon as he finished the run he would smoke another one. Wow. <laughs> and I would just think how is this possible? That's so outrageous. That's definitely the old warrant officer. Yeah. Both of the descriptions that, yeah. that we were talking about no longer exist. I would say that's, yeah, been my experience too, that they're mostly on their way out if they're not already. Yeah, that. I think so. Yeah. Cool. So what is a warrant officer like for people who might not know? What's that course book answer? Oh, man. The definition of a warrant officer. I wish I could spit it out to you right now, but I cannot. I know they're like, they're a subject matter expert. Yes. Subject matter expert, technical expert. Technical and expert. Strangely enough, I had this argument this morning. It's, it's very arguable, I would say, depending upon what job you are expected right. to do at that given time. But I think that... The warrant officer is definitely expected to know or be able to find the answer to pretty much anything. And it doesn't necessarily depend on what your your specialty is. You gain a sense of credibility immediately when you become a warrant officer because a lot of people believed in you to get you where you are. Jump in anytime. So I think the book, the book solution talks about a tactical and technical expert, leader, mentor, coach, um, subject matter expert. I think those are expectations. Right. Those are those are founded from the origination of warrant officers. Well, and it's the, supposed to the, be right somebody who has some sort of knowledge pertaining to yeah, d- an area. Really revolves around the right. technical expertise exactly. about a process, a system. Um, a component, some some piece of the military where that person has the background, schooling, education, uh, hopefully critical thinking aspects in order to continue to execute and move those type of area interests forward. Mm-hmm. The other half of the equation, and going back to that piece about why we, we found these old handlebar mustache, <laughs> coffee drinking, smoking warrant officers when we came in, is the orientation is has moved towards leadership right which was not really a component of the warrant officer expectation for lack of a better term or definition for years yeah uh and now because of the criticality of officership and leadership emphasis on that you see less of uh, the blinders on about you know my job is to do this and this only right it's actually much wider than that it's about the leadership aspect and the mentoring of you know, up, down, left, and right. Right. Taking on more than just your one. Yeah. One. The, the expectation is you know that one piece. Right. Um, but the involvement is much bigger than just that anymore. For sure. 
And there's still some necessity for a culture change in some of the NCOs or some officers even that still have the mentality that they are pigeonholed into this very, very specific position and leadership, I do not think falls into that from personal experience, a conversation that I had this morning. (laughs) Warrant officers are not leaders, but... That is not what we teach right. at the Warren Officer Candidate School, and that is not the the way forward for, yeah, for, for sure, any new Warren right, Officer. Any, any person in a leadership role, which often a Warren Officer is, with at least in, within a section, right, there's always going to be some sort of leadership aspect, I would agree with. Yeah. Absolutely. So if someone wants to be a Warren Officer, what do they need to do? There are... There are basic warrant officer requirements that have to be met first. Right. Right? Like GT 110, three event APFT, security clearance, uh, high school or diploma or GED. Right. Be able to pass a Chapter 2 physical. Those are all kind of basic requirements regardless of what your MOS or specialty is you have to meet. Right. Very similar to OCS and officers. Almost the same animal. Um, and possess a feeder MOS into one of the, the branches or specialties. Yeah, so the second part is the technical aspect. Right, the reason the, the why years people of experience, expect you to the MOS, be an expert. Right. So, so there's two separate components, right. both of which have to be met. Um, you could be a technical expert all day, but you know if you're old and broken uh, like me, it's just not going to happen. Right. Um, or um, you can meet all the basic requirements, you just don't have the time of grade or the educational background or you know the aspect of leadership right I mean, you'd be a technical expert all day long but can't lead your way out of a wet paper bag well that's not really the person we're looking for we're two percent of the of the military the right. army right so those individuals that are selected to be warrant officers really are the cream of the crop right um now granted folks like me fall through the cracks and that's why you <laughs> get one but that that's really what we're looking for right? yeah and then what what's the process after that like if they're accepted, they go to it's kind of like OCS, right? It's it's W O C S. Is yes. that just the Warren Officer Canada yeah. School? <laughs> is there another way to go through, or that's the only way? There is only one way through okay. Warren Officer Candidate School. There are two different options in which they attend, whether it be the Warren Officer Candidate School here in the Washington National Guard through the RTI, or Fort Rucker which we don't really say like OCS says fast track for their outside of the state one. We don't really refer to it as fast track. It is a little bit faster because they will be finished in one to one and a half months opposed to the six months that the RTI takes over drill weekends. It's RTI Regional Training Institute? It is. Okay. Yes. So those are the two options, but the preferred method for any of our National Guard students, whether it be Washington, Oregon, anywhere close by, Idaho has their own, we would prefer for them to attend the RTI always. And why is that? Well, there's multiple reasons of why we would prefer it, but my own personal reason is I feel like our class is geared towards our citizen soldier for the National Guardsmen that they really don't feel any change than what they're already doing as a regular traditional MD soldier because the class is conducted over the drill weekend. 
So they don't have an impact of leaving their job, their family, where they live for, you know, four to six weeks, depending upon where they're at when they go to school. They just really attend a regular drill. So right. it's, it's not a huge difference. That's and then the other one, right, that's that it's like an all-component acted, the one in Fort Rucker, it's all-component. So it they is. might get a more focused warrant officer training when they're at the RTI? Oh, yeah. They okay. get definitely more attention because the classes that we conduct are smaller. We're right. there in Fort Rucker. I think the class size now is probably between 45 and 60 any given time, and the staff that they have is probably about four. Okay. Okay. At any given time outside of the classroom, they'll have one instructor in the classroom. But for the non-academic specified general warrant officer training, right. they only have four. So that's okay. what, one to ten-ish? Yeah. Where here, there would be at a max ten, and you have always myself and then always one other person that we refer to as the TAC officer. Okay. Which you might know, TAC officer, because you said you were a lieutenant. I was. To say, do you refer to the trainers for OCS? Yeah, they were TACs. TAC officer. Mm-hmm. So now they're platoon trainers. Okay. And then the warrant officers are TAC officers. Okay. Cool. Same concept. Yeah, same Doing concept. Doing the same thing. Still wearing the black hats. I think there's a there's a piece to the RTI. Uh, to add on to what Bridget said, There's, we have made a commitment to run that course in this state. Right. So, and there isn't dire- a direct budget tied to it, although the, the 205th picks up a bigger piece of the pie for OCS and phase three and those kind of things. And we're kind of, it's an out of hide piece, um, but the commitment is to run this course. And there's a minimum of five in order to run the course, okay. five candidates. Um, so besides the attention they get, right. um, because it is a leadership development course, versus basic training yeah um so there's a lot more um focused time on the leadership aspect um which is really what the school is about okay it's the decision making process it's the ability to lead from point a to point b um with all your assigned people and equipment those kind of things not sticks lanes really but um it's the development of leadership that is the critical aspect of that course the technical piece of warrant officers done later on at an obc and it's those background experiential things they already have so they do each go to whatever field they're going into they go to a warrant officer specific basic course right branch qualification qualification course course. right okay and how long are those are those pretty long Depending upon their specialty, but they right. can be a year almost or yeah. So flight school. Well, yeah, right? flight school even for it's lieutenants is fourteen months, months plus or minus. Yeah, generally. Um, the the IT side of the house, right. eight months. Yeah. Um, and you have down to the AG uh, human resource side of the house. I think eight it's eight weeks, maybe. Is it eight weeks? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, those seem pretty similar MI to is the like 12 officer. Weeks. Yeah. Related basic courses as well very similar yeah, yeah very, very similar except for you guys get i'm sure like a little bit more specific on some things whereas they're just like teaching us how to fill out paperwork <laughs> yeah so well, the we're basic difference to know so much yeah, more at that point i'm sure because isn't it like 
you should have about five years of experience in whatever I would area you're minimum. going to. Right. Yeah, for warrant officer? Yes. Yeah. Um, so the... The Lieutenants g- don't have any yeah, experience. The, exactly. So <laughs> so you're about to walk into the difference between warrant officers and traditional right. commissioned officers. So it's about the technical expertise For sure. versus the generalized management, mm-hmm. right? And that's those are the generic tracks they each take. Mm-hmm. Um, so that warrant officer piece, in order before you can ever become a warrant officer, you effectively have to be a technical expert first. Right. Whereas being a second lieutenant, you go through Warrior Forge or you yeah, know, OCS, I mean, and bam, you're there. So there is no. It's and those not aren't really technical, the, even. Those are yeah, just infantry skills. It is. And, and then you go off, and, and through your career, you learn really the technical right. aspects of it. But as you move up in grade, you kind of lose touch with that and start yeah. getting more generalized, and, mm-hmm. and there's breadth added. Whereas you guys, when you move up, do you get into like more technical aspects or more of like a supervisory role? within those technical aspects i think at each echelon you pick up more technical orientation yeah but they're they're at different echelons right but so, like the expectation too i'm sure it's like oh, oh yeah it, it every moves. time you move up plus you, you are correct much like traditional officers as you move up that that breadth of left and right starts to spread a little bit right but the basic foundational orientations on the technical expertise at that echelon and then where you left right behind you so yeah so interesting it is you should come visit the rti i should that's another i can list so many reasons of why i think it's better and it's interesting because when i chose to go warrant officer and I was selected I thought at that time I just want to go to Fort Rucker I want to get this over with please don't make me go to the RTI I don't want to stretch it out but now I would never advise for anybody to do that it's just you know the fear of the unknown it's going to take so much longer it's going to stretch it out it's going to be worse than getting it over with but looking back I would never have I yeah and I think like different going straight all of officer schools for lieutenants are they're all the same as the active duty ones and mm-hmm. I've been in the reserve component my whole time and I think I would have liked to be at a reserve component schoolhouse for that initial entry into that officership just because the experiences aren't the same when you go active duty versus when you go into one of the reserve component because the expectations are so different and the programming is different everything's different and just right. knowing that specifically I feel like you guys could probably answer any of those questions that those new warrant officer candidates would have about being specifically in the National Guard as a warrant officer right whereas when you go to the Fort Rucker school they don't really know there are a lot of differences but they are not curriculum differences and I want to make it very clear that there's not curriculum differences I'm just saying like the the personal aspect of in that part too I would I would guess that some people would think oh it's so much easier you went to the RTI when going back to just when I say attention I really mean just your instructor to student ratio it's so much less here right. that you really do get that one-on-one mentorship you get the guidance and the training that you're looking for where not bashing Port Rucker but there's really just not enough time right. when it's one to ten and the conversation opportunities that you have the counseling it it's really just 
logistically not possible to be able to make all of that happen yeah with that many students where here you really get to know who your tech officer is right have relationships with me we're very supportive but at the same time it's still a very difficult and challenging course on top of the fact that you have your reserve schools have been more challenging than my active duty schools so the part that I would I also feared is I can't check out if I don't go to Fort Rucker I can't check out from my children and my civilian job and everything else that that is going on there's still a lot of expectations on me while I'm attending the course because you go and then go back right but that also is part of what you learn because you have to learn to manage all of it because after you become a warrant officer it doesn't slow down. Yeah, it's it actually speeds up. You only get more. And so it really is excellent training on learning how to manage things and how to prioritize with your time. Yeah. I think there's so many. Um, one other, from a selfish perspective for the organization, mm-hmm. for the RTI program, we have warrant officers that grow up with each other. Right. Not even the same technical specialties Mm -hmm. but they know each other and through the long run within the organization uh, an HR warrant officer knows a property book or supply or uh, maintenance warrant and the and quite honestly good friends to have quite honestly things (laughs) get done that way when you don't have an answer or you can support the organization but it's outside your relative expertise you know who to go to and how to do it and there is there's a great camaraderie within that piece of it that you would never get at Fort Rucker right you may get contacts and you may get some mentorship but you don't get it to the level you do it well and you're not going to definitely be in a class of people you're going to work with in the future highly unlikely yeah Uh, you'll bounce into them at courses every five or six years exactly and you may get onesie twosie in the email but here we grow up together same organizations uh, sharing the wealth of knowledge and experience. So yeah. it's a good deal for the, the state by far. For sure. The opportunity to build those relationships is just not even possible when you're not here. And to add to that too, the sense of pride that the candidates have being here and having their support system so close, Right. call it a sense of pride, maybe it's a sense of fear, knowing that Mr. Gordon is across Camp Murray and at any time can peek in or I think that that also helps and having the personal support from the things that they do when I said to come visit I'll make sure that I send you personal invitation to the things that happen where you can see for yourself but we get a lot of support here and it feels good to them to know that they're supported in their career progression and I think that they feel that because there's been a few that have really struggled but somehow, you know, they get it together and right. pull through to the end. And I think it's because of the support that they have locally here picking them up rather than not being able to really feel that through seeing each other, talking to each other, because they wouldn't have the opportunity if right. they weren't here. Yeah, so not just the candidates growing yeah. up together, but the people that wrote their letters yeah, of recommendation, right. their support cast, the organization is here. And then the instructors as part of the program that Bridget runs are all generally warrant officers from our organization. Right. So it's a, you know, from the great perspective of a family-oriented right. program, uh, and it really helps solidify yeah. why you're here, why you're doing it, um, and the help and support you need in order to get to the places that you're expected to go. Well, and to have that built-in resource, resource network of chiefs that you already know, 
that you you know you can call upon later in your career too which is like so invaluable (laughs) and we're fostering the future environment for what's to come exactly that's what I teach them too it's your responsibility to come back and give back to the schoolhouse and warrant officers are pretty close we're kind of like a secret gang yeah you know we take care (laughs) of each other we expect each other to be there for each other regardless of what specialty or job or where you are so once you are accepted into this group of people you're expected to give back to it Yeah. yeah for sure I would think so. What is your favorite thing about being a warrant officer? That was a really good question. Let me think about it. My favorite thing. I don't know that it's about being a warrant officer. It's about being in my current warrant officer position. That works which too. for me is because of I was going to say the type of warrant officer I am. It gave me the opportunity to be in the position that I'm in currently. But maybe now it's no longer specific to my specialty. So any warrant officer could do it. But just having the opportunity to truly teach the upcoming warrant officers and have that time with them to talk to them, answer their questions, to mentor and guide, motivate, watch them achieve the goals that they set for themselves, encourage them. I just really enjoy doing that, and I don't know that I would have the opportunity to do that in any other position. Right. There's not another position in the state that would give me that as my job. Right. It's something that I actually love to do, and it's not an additional duty or something that I'm taking home with me to do after I leave during right. the day. It's actually the job that I have. And when I decided to be a warrant officer, I told myself, you know, that's that's the job that I want to have not thinking really at the time this is a possible goal that I could achieve but that's something about being a warrant officer in the Washington National Guard you really don't have any limits as long as you just set your goals and believe in yourself and do what you need to do to get there there's really nothing standing in your way right and I'm proof of that so I love that job being a warrant officer specifically you'll have to come back to me because there's just so many amazing things about it what about you, know. Unicorn CW5, Gordon? So I think, <laughs> having been on with, all three sides. With your of, many, yeah. many years of all different 4, styles of experience. 411 years of experience. The one that kept him. Jack of all trades, what. master of none. <laughs> I think the, the best part by far is the ability to influence right. the organization. Because that really is what that warrant officer is all about. It's the commander's advisor on, in the, in the technical aspect, that piece of equipment or that right. process or whatever. But in the big picture, the expectation that all that experience from not only your arena but much broader and deeper comes with it. Uh, I, I continually go back to when I was a, a lieutenant on active duty, and we uh, had a there was a conference going on, and uh, our chief maintenance officer was there around the table with all the captains and, and lieutenants uh, and the commanders going around the table and uh, one of the I think S, S3 maybe the O4 stood up and said well this is what we're going to do and this and blah 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 and the commander looked directly at the chief and asked him do you think that's right and the chief said absolutely not if that happens right. these, these are the costs right. this is what I would do and the commander looked back around the table and said, all right, everybody heard, Chief, that's what we're going to do. Ready, break. So 
and that's not to dismiss anybody's sure. background or knowledge, but it is that expectation, that ability to do those kind of things as a W-2, mm-hmm. um, which is really quite frequently, if you just stayed enlisted, would have been E-6, maybe E-7 level, mm-hmm. is significant over where you get, you know, th- that pyramid from both the commissioned and enlisted side, you know, gets real tight real quick as you move up. Right. Whereas the warrant officers don't have that. Um, so I think throughout a career, it's just a real, um, it's real advantageous position, um, and it's really enlightening. Um, but it has to be done with responsibility. Right. Right. So. It's I definitely in. I think that's the best part about being a warrior. An always learning kind of position, I think. Right. It's very motivating. Yeah. It's this internal motivation, this unsaid challenge that's constantly telling you that you want to be able to meet those expectations and you know that at any given moment you're going to be called to the floor to present, perform, evaluate, provide vision, influence something. Someone's going to ask you, can this be done? And then you're going to have to give them that very specific answer yeah it's pretty cool it is i don't have to worry about that (laughs) because i'm public affairs so i can just sort of like make it up right (laughs) (laughs) well some warrant officers might not (laughs) no um i think we hit them all all the the warrant officer how how to's did we miss one went through how to qualify what the school looks like your follow-on branch qualification we didn't talk about career path if that's are we getting more in depth of when you said how do you are we being more specific in what that physically looks like for someone who might be interested we can we can go there i think it's good too in case all of our listeners are wanting to take that step so then so then what does that look like after what mr gordon said where he left off which i think was you you are eligible to apply based on the required pre-qualifications with your experience your mos gt score all of that all that once you identify that you are eligible there is a small bit of paperwork compiling i call it i don't think that and this is what i always tell people because it really believe it or not holds people up from submitting their application which has been advantageous for some of us that slipped into warrant officer positions because no one else submitted their packet but the packet piece of it truly is just a paper copy of what is already in your digital record your iperms record with a biography and some letters of recommendation so there there is some legwork that you have to do to get your biography together and your preparation asking for letters of recommendation so what I always recommend for people to do when they are serious about submitting their packet is to start getting the people they're going to ask for letters of recommendation ready for that ask and preparing them with what they need to provide the letter of recommendation because you don't want someone else not doing something for you holding up your your process of submitting your packet and I 
I would guess that that's the longest part of the application process itself. Yeah. Once you get it submitted, it's out of your hands. And unless something is grossly erroneous from what you submitted, you're going to get through. And once you get through with your packet process, you have to attend the FedRec board, which is an in-person board. That board is held monthly, I want to say maybe the last Thursday of the month currently. Mr. Gordon, can you talk about that? It's been a while since yeah, so I've seen the, one of those the boards. Predetermination, the predetermination pack is what Bridget's talking about, and it's okay. it's the documentation of your technical expertise and your basic qualifications. That packet gets put together. I've seen them done in two weeks. I've also seen packets that never got done, right, right? because people are hesitant about writing and or basing others for a letter of recommendation. And I think, quite honestly, that is probably the first filter, Yeah. right? And that's okay, because if you don't have the drive or initiative or motivation at that right. point in time to do it, you probably shouldn't be going down this path. Right. And that's not to say that you don't gather it later. Yeah. Um, but maybe some of those, ready. maybe you're just mm -hmm. not ready and maybe it's not for you anyway. Right. Um, so that's, that's an inherent filter to that process. Um, once that packet is submitted to the proponent school, so you submit that, um, to whatever branch okay. schoolhouse active duty, and they have a W5 there that sits there and looks at it, uh, and says, yep, you meet the basic qualifications to become a warrant officer in such and such a branch. Okay. That doesn't mean you're going to, right. it just says you're approved. You meet the basic qualifications because now you have to go to, as Bridget says, the fed rec board. That's like your tactical knowledge, technical knowledge. The schoolhouse is the, correct. Okay. And the fed rec board is more about the leadership. Are you the okay. right person? It's putting those two components together. Um, the fed rec board is made up of myself, the shrag, mm -hmm. uh, from the state and a senior warrant officer, hopefully in that MOS, the person applied for. And it's, it's about that leadership. What do you think about becoming a appointed slash commissioned officers you move on through how's that going to be different from when you were an nco right um what's your philosophy about you know your pizos back on the block or all e sixes right how are you going to lead is it situational or is it you know iron fisted or are you going to let them roll over you all those things are kind of components of at least thinking about where this is going to go what right. is your plan what do you think your weaknesses are in, in that right. route what are your strengths um, you know, and mentorship. Who are you? Who are you looking at? Who's helping you down that road? And that's what the FedRex board. Okay. Once that FedRex board approves you, um, then you turn into a warrant officer candidate. Okay. Which simply means it's a temporary federal recognition of that grade in order for you to go to WOCS. Right. Right. So then you have either, you know, the state program once in a while, the, the Rucker program in order to get through. When you complete WOCS, you appoint to W1. When you graduate right and then you've got that follow-on branch school so that's the process and then you're mr or mrs until you get that second you are correct you're correct because my first job was with aviators so we had a bunch of twos threes fours and like one five i think was the safety officer but our property book uh, officer was a a one, a one officer one. And so they were like, you don't get to be a chief yet. <laughs> <laughs> that was their favorite tease for him. But I was like, you leave him alone. That's your new best friend. 
I think further though, once you once you do that, the career yeah. in in general, and hopefully somewhat quick, is you know you go to your WOBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you're branch qualified in that MOS specialty. Um, theoretically, from the time you appoint to W one, it's about two years, right? Right until you appoint to W two, or actually at that point you get commissioned, right? Okay. So now right. you're a commissioned officer, right. CW two. Um, I'm stretching at this point. I think it's four years from that point to W3. Okay. But there's a school at each step. So right. you have to get the time and grade and the next and level professional education. Right? A, yeah. a version of ILA, yeah. And then uh, five years to W4 from that point, from three to four with another school. And then W5 is, is the first and only time warrant officer selection for promotion is competitive. Okay. Um, because there are limited positions in the guard structure um, and that's where it's a selection process. Okay. Additional school, time of grade, and then a selection. Whereas everything else, theoretically, uh, when you appoint a warrant officer, right, if you do your time and grade, right. you do the next level school, right. you're sufficient at your job level skills, et cetera, you'll move all the way to W-4 regardless of the grade of the peril in or position oh. you're in. So you can be in W-2 mm-hmm. position because we don't have that right. structure to support. You can be a W-2 position, get promoted up to W-4. That's awesome. So 96% of all warrant officers, if they stay through the career path, make right. W-4. Okay. 96%. You can't apply that percentage to any E-5 or second lieutenant captain nope. as you move up through the grade. <laughs> so, you know, there's some there's some advantages to that, and then yeah. there's some disadvantages too. Right. So. Kind of depends on your perspective. We have 44 vacancies currently of the 183 positions we have. That's actually not that bad. It's not terrible compared to like some of the others. But they're all but they are technical. <laughs> they're all technical. They're not flyers. Yeah, we're 100 percent are flyers. But the majority are in IT. Always 100 percent of the flyers. Yeah, IT, MI. We have some targeting field artillery vacancies. Um, what is the likelihood of an 11 Bravo getting that? So it's all about tech. Can you prove that, you that you've do done targeting. all those kind targeting of things? Targeting's not That's easy. That's a lot of math. Targeting's targeting's if you conceptual give me like a well. list of some of your big critical shortfalls, I can mention that in the beginning as like a oh well then I'll just take these. Those are the vacancies, and then I'll take these. We'll make a copy, and I'll make you, you no make, because if if I just know like the basic branch, like MI field. Field artillery, IT. I can just sort of like mention like if you're in these specialties, like you might want to yeah. give a and that's the number of vacancies. Give old uh, Scott, Jason, Jason Hartley, Jason. CW3 Hartley, Hartley, yeah, a call, yeah, or, or Miss Crosby. I mean, any one of us will move yeah. him into the right. It, Hartley Contact will be the your one. local warrant officer. Yeah. <laughs> Hartley will put him in into the packet process. Okay. He'll, he'll weed through the And I the can basics. put his information in the show notes. Yeah, that would be good. If you're interested, yep. contact any one of us for specifically the recruiter is yep. CW3 Jason Hartley. Sounds good. I'll do that.